1: That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over a 100 casino style
0: games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary, forward prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: The beauty of the musical Raisin is that the people who created it, the folks who created it, were really interested in not just maintaining the integrity of the original story and the characters mm-hmm. but expanding it so that that integrity can be shared with the entire african-american community of the south Side of chicago you know while focusing on this one family but still seeing all these other personalities and how they react and interrelate. i mean it's it's a slice yeah. of america in in a similar way that uh, uh, a company is a slice of america in a similar mm-hmm. way that hair is a slice of america you know what I'm i mean These these are the stories that we tell about ourselves and it's how we know who we are.
1: Welcome everybody to a musical theater podcast where we discuss the cultural and emotional impact of some of our favorite musicals in theater history. My name is Jeffrey Scott Parsons, you can call me Jeff. Today we are discussing the best musical Tony winner from 1974, Raisin which is, of course, a musical version of the famous play A Raisin in the Sun by Lorraine Hansberry. You may remember me mentioning the show briefly during our episode on The Wiz earlier this year. I'm really grateful to be covering it because, quite frankly, it gave me the chance to get to know it better. (laughs) It's a show that doesn't get uh, produced very often. And what makes me even more grateful is who's here to chat about it with me. He is a theater director, puppeteer, African-American theater historian and archivist, everybody please welcome jerell l henderson
0: jerell thank thank you you. so much i usually have to do my own applause so i really appreciate (laughs) the fact that you applauded for me (laughs) if i can can do anything
1: (laughs) just also know that everyone applauds with me right guys now i say all the time uh on the show that as a young boy musical theater became like the art form or the filter through which I began to understand and relate to the world and I know I don't know you that well so correct me if I'm totally off here but it seems to me like maybe we have that in common like more specifically it seems musical theater has become one of the ways for you to relate to and understand your african-american heritage is that is that kind of fair Without question, I just didn't know it was happening
0: until it had happened. Well, I mean, um, and that's what our 30s are for. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Amen (laughs) to that. No, no one told me. And my family, you know, I grew up in South Philadelphia um, before it was gentrified. Um, And it's still pretty segregated. But when I grew up in the late 80s, early 90s, um, it was 99.9% African American and like 1% Southeast Asian. Um, So we were all people of color (laughs) We were all So-called BIPOC folk then But yeah, no, um, but we didn't My family didn't go to theater We went to church and to the movies Um, And so The Wizard of Oz Led to The Wiz My mom My mom's favorite musical is Grease (laughs) Grease is not My favorite musical Grease is the word So I know Grease by heart (laughs) Or at least the film, um, and so, but it was just a part of our lives that was accepted, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, totally. And because we didn't, because we didn't go to see theater, I, you know, like I knew I liked theater, but I didn't see myself as part of the actual community yeah. because no one told me that all you needed to do was listen to watch musicals and listen to show tunes in order to be a theater And, and
1: you're part of the tribe. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like
0: it wasn't until much later. So yeah, but no, it absolutely has become a way for me to kind of walk more clearly inside of who I am um, and to become the best adult that I can be, you know, in, in the context of what it means to be an African-American, you know?
1: So, wow. So talk to me about when all those pieces started coming together. Was it in your education? Was it college it was undergrad, um, and I don't yeah. talk about
0: my undergrad experience a lot because I really, it really was not terribly enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned a lot, but they were all really hard lessons. In the school that I went to, um, was incredibly racist. And, oh gosh, um, dang, holy, I'm sorry. Um, well, I mean, it's it's just kind of the way of the world, and it was a ginormous culture shock. However, in the questions in terms of like which students are valued, which students are not valued, I was left alone. Um, because many of the professors who were in that training program just didn't see much value in me. But because they left me alone and I was hungry to know more, I began to research on my own. And you know, I, I went to a number one state university. Which had a really great library, and Mm. I thought to myself, "You like musical theater. You say you want to be a a musical theater performer, but there are a lot of musicals that I knew of I just had never heard. You know, you're kind of, you know, when you're growing up, you're exposed to what you're exposed to. Right. You do the best you can. Um, And so I went to the library and I tried to listen to as many albums that I had uh, musical theater uh, cast albums that I had heard of, Mm. but I had just never listened to before so we're talking cabaret we're talking sophisticated ladies we're talking ain't misty we're talking uh the original broadway cast of jesus christ superstar with ben vereen Mm. and that album blew my mind Mm. i had never heard i still remember um listening to you know the, the there's the overture and the overture leads into heaven on their minds and I remember sitting in the library uh, listening to Ben Vereen perform Heaven on Their Minds," and I had never heard anything like that. And I was raised in wow. church, and yes. he was saying things that you did not say about Jesus. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Fair enough. I was
0: like, "Whoa!" But it, and it was like the rock music, and he's hitting these high notes, Jesus. You know, it's uh-huh. these crazy <laughs> high notes. And I, I, this is one hundred percent true. I, I ripped. After the song was over, I ripped the headphones off of my head and threw them across the room like they were on fire. <laughs> and I just kind of sat there trying to make sense of what I had just
1: heard. That's amazing. And then
0: I went across the room, picked up the you know the headphones, plugged them back in to the vinyl because this was on vinyl at the time. Um, oh, oh wow! And listened to it again. <laughs> <laughs> Let's and, try this. And, again. Uh, have have been hooked. Ever since, like that was my first intro, but no. It's well, a- and then
1: speaking of vinyl, you have this incredible collection. <laughs> first yeah. of all, tell us about your collection, because I'm just so kind of enamored sure. by it. Sure.
0: Around the pandemic, I started collecting musical theater albums from the African diaspora. So the first album that I bought in that genre, because at first I had gotten this record player as a gift from my husband. It was the first birthday present he ever bought me when we were Aww. dating. Um, and he bought me this record player, and he we never spoke about it. He just sensed it, and it changed my life, clearly. I mean, it got me here with you. Yeah. Um, and the first album he bought me was Ella in Berlin. Um, and I was like, this guy's a keeper. <laughs> 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 and so that afternoon, that afternoon, I ordered uh, Lena Horne's The Lady and Her Music, because mm. that's one of my favorite albums of all time, and I listened to it more than anyone born, you know, towards the <laughs> end of the 20th century probably should. But I really like it, and it speaks to me directly. Um, around the pandemic, when theater shut down, and I was beginning to search for community, you know, I had a few run-ins with some other uh, theatrical personalities <laughs> at that time online, and I was just kind of searching for community, and, and you know, my, my husband, Ricky, uh, Jin Chao, uh, <laughs> my mm-hmm. husband, uh, hey, he... Hubby recommended that I find you know, if you don't see the community that you like, maybe you should create your own. <laughs> mm. And I went, well, that's not a bad idea. And so I started intentionally collecting. I said, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I, I want to think about creating an Instagram page that just revolves around Black musical theater. You know, And of course I was thinking, you know, Raisin, Liz, be <laughs> mm-hmm. um, But it occurred to me that Black theater goes beyond African-American in relation to, like, North America. You know what I mean? When you think of what it means to be Black, it, it isn't it just, you know, those of us who were born in Philadelphia or Milwaukee or Chicago? But, you know, that's work that's being done in Brazil. That's yeah. work that's being done in, you know, Trinidad, Tobago, and Jamaica, and Ghana, and <laughs> Nigeria. And so it really put me on this path of, like, Okay, so you want to investigate theater and musical theater in the African diaspora based on the vinyl albums that have been left behind. And so I began to intentionally collect vinyls from all over the world. And the more I did it and, and created the page, and um people begin to respond to it in really cool ways, meaning like people begin to follow and comment and you know and and on how it was giving them a sense of History and you know, I, I love seeing this and being surrounded by people who are just who are just interested in the subject matter. If if you like history, if you like music history, if you like musical theater history, if you like African American history, and for me, the sweet spot is like African American musical history. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it plays it plays to folks who have that that drive, and it's it's really changed my life in a lot of positive ways, hmm. and. As an artist, as a human being, as someone who's always felt a little bit out of place, um, you know, there there weren't a lot of kids like me growing up. I'm terrible at basketball. Um, (laughs) And while that can be a really nasty stereotype, in, in the case of my childhood, you know, that was what you did. You played basketball or football. Maybe you ran track. Um so there weren't a whole lot of people excited to talk about, you know, the original, the the revival of Chicago that came out in like 96 97 with BB New York. Like that I was like I, I ran out and got the CD. It was like everything you know, like trying to, you know, listen, like trying to play the cell block tango for my friend who's like, ah, uh, I I like you, Jarrell. I don't know if this music is for me." You know like, I mean? like no, like- you don't understand. It's satire. <laughs> It's really good. they so <laughs> cool, but um, but now that I'm a little bit older and I create this community, there are folks who who totally who totally buy into that, um, and so you feel less alone. That's that's really what it's about.
1: That's fantastic.
0: And so, for those of us who everyone, everyone who loves musical theater can appreciate it, but those of us who are African Americans searching for the elements of what we've contributed to society because society is always finding ways to remind us that we haven't contributed. Um, and at least, you know, I can't, you know, you can't be all things to all people, mm-hmm. but in the realm of musical theater, Oh, I'm not asking for anything because look what we've contributed to this. Look at what, you know, I, I'm, it's, I, Undeniable. it's not that I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a seat at the table. I helped build this table. This table is part mine, so mm-hmm. I will not be asking for a seat to the table. I will be sitting down, you know? because it's partly my table. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. I helped build this damn table, mm-hmm. and that's and so it's also empowering in that way.
1: That's uh, my brain is going like so many directions. Um, oh, I'm like, yay. focus, Jeff, focus. But the the last episode we had was on the Pirates of Penzance, and we looked at kind of the. Uh, the the world of operetta and um and how that influenced the musical theater art form and the same should absolutely be said for another part of the family tree which is jazz and Mm -hmm. um african-american artists in general
0: and then which goes on to inspire among others uh gershwin Mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah Yeah, Um,
1: exactly yeah now, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about amazing artists today, but one of the ones that we absolutely have to talk off the bat is Lorraine Hansberry, who mm-hmm. wrote, like we said, uh, Raisin in the Sun, the play originally in what was it? 1958? 59, 59, well, is, 59 is, when is
0: when they, is they were when, working on it, but 59 is when it Broadway. On Broadway. Yeah.
1: yeah. She's the first female African-American playwright to have a play on Broadway. The idea for this play was inspired in part by the difficulties her family faced in, in housing and in securing a mm-hmm. home in a historically white neighborhood. Her father, Carl, was the Hansberry in a Supreme Court case named Hansberry V. Lee. Um, right. So like it, it is a huge part of her identity and her, her growing up. And I think what's so interesting is that this play, I mean, changed theater right mm-hmm. i mean it's widely considered one of the best plays of all time it was a big hit it didn't win best play at the tonys it didn't win the pulitzer prize uh, which we can talk about it did win like the drama critics it did win the drama it won critics, drama critics. You're critics. Right. yeah You're right. for
0: best play yeah
1: when did you know this play this for me especially in my i think high school education and i, I would probably risk to say for many white people it was the first window for me to see the black experience of pre-civil rights era in America.
0: Yeah. Or at least the more authentic one, because we're, you know, after the African-American experience is constantly being shown in film and television and on the news, but it's always really skewed and and Mm -hmm. perverted. Um, Whereas Raisin is kind of like, in in many ways, a breath of fresh air because the characters are allowed to be fully formed human beings. yeah. (laughs) You know, um, no, uh, a high school, Is the first time i remember uh i'm sure we read it but i i remember my this guy's had to be ninth or tenth grade uh my english teacher played the vinyl album of the recording um with ozzy davis and ruby d Mm. uh zix mokay and so i remember listening to that in in english uh yeah um and of course. Because of how popular it is in the American theater canon and how often it is produced, Mm -hmm. once I was familiar with it, it's kind of like when when you first learn of an actor and then you start seeing them everywhere. Yeah. Um, And it's like, no, they've always been there. But now you're now you're just seeing it it. catches your eye a little more. So that's kind of how it was with *A Raisin in the Sun. A Raisin the Sun and All My Sons by Arthur Miller, in, in my opinion, right now, it might change. It's like the closest America has ever gotten to a truly realistic play because most of the plays that are considered American realism have really heightened moments. You know what I mean? You think about Death of a Salesman and the brother Ben who walks through a wall. That's not real.
1: Interesting. But
0: in Raisin wow. the Sun, Like, the time is chronological, Mm -hmm. it takes place in, like, one location, Mm -hmm. um, and it's about people, like, moving through their lives. It's so special. It's so special.
1: The title of the play comes from a line from a poem by the legendary poet Langston Hughes, and, um, and I was wondering if you wouldn't mind reading that section? Would you mind? I would not mind at all, um... The poem is
0: called Harlem, and it's it's uh, at least in the, the collection of poems that I have. It's Harlem number two. There are two links in Hughes poems named Harlem. It says, what happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it sags like a heavy load or does it explode? And lakeston Hughes, who, I mean, we can have a whole podcast episode about his relationship to American theater. Yeah. He was also a playwright, but one of the, one of the issues that he wrestled with, you know, the, 20 to 30 years before Dr. King's famous speech was the idea of the American dream. And what that dream meant to African-Americans or people of African descent, BIPOC, what, what, do, what do you want to call? And when you read the lines of that poem, Next to Lorraine Hansberry's A Raisin in the Sun, you can see elements of all of of the the poem is exploring (laughs) what what do African-Americans do with the fact that they are so that we are so limited, often limited in our choices. We are Americans by definition, and yet we do not have access to the full potential of what it means to be an American. And that reality manifests itself in a lot of different ways. Some of us become overachievers. Some of us uh, go in the other direction. Hmm. And so when you read A Raisin in the Sun in the context of that poem, you can see the characters just trying to figure out, like, what do you do, particularly Walter Lee and Lena, Mama, Hmm. What and Benita? And oh Benita goodness, for Benita, sure. What do you do with all of this hope, with all of these dreams that society is being told you're allowed to have, but when you're African American, you're not. You're able to have them, but you're not able to fulfill them. But you have to. You have to stand by and watch other people fulfill them, and what that must do to you. There's so much of American theater in general, but especially African American theater that we would not have had, or at least we wouldn't have had the same way if it wasn't for Langston Hughes coming along.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, man. Really,
0: really dynamic, cool cat, Langston
1: Hughes. Hey, listeners, have you tried Factor yet? Remember Factor Meals? They were supposed to send me a box to try out, but they don't ship to Hawaii, so now I'm stuck with my Taco Bell. And now it's up to you. It's up to you to try it and let me know how it is because it's May and we can't eat like it's the holidays anymore. We're trying to get our summer bodies together and factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting food. You can choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, whatever you want, it's here. Head to factormeals.com slash musicaltheater50, that's musicaltheater with an E-R, and use code musicaltheater50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code musicaltheater50 at factormeals.com slash theater 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Lucky Land
0: Casino, asking
1: people what's the weirdest
0: place you've gotten lucky?
1: Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. Now tragically, we didn't get a whole lot more theater from Miss Hansberry because she passed away from pancreatic Mm -hmm. cancer at the age of 34. But she had a fascinating life though. I didn't realize she was a closeted lesbian and divorced her husband, Robert Nemiroff, before she died. Mm -hmm. But even after their divorce, they remained super close and particularly with professional matters. And that's really important to the musical raisin because when you see it, or read it, you'll notice that the book is co-authored by none other than ex-hubby himself. That's right. Yeah, he also
0: um, updated A in the Sun, which I have conflicting feelings about. Sure. He re-added, you know, a scene that had been cut, his argument, she didn't want it cut, and nobody would know that except me because I was married to her. Hey, listen, you can't argue with that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> fair enough.
0: <laughs> At the same time, eh, it wasn't what was originally in there. you changed it after she died. But that was, listen, he had the power to do that. Yeah. Um, when you get to Raisin, he uh, finished Les Blancs, which was um, the last play that she, like, wrote, pop proper, but died before it was completed. Right. You know what I mean? Um, and also, uh, he worked on the the book, which would eventually become the off-Broadway play, To Be Young, Gifted, and Black, which... Nina uh, Simone. It's the, yeah, the <laughs> Nina Simone song, man, um, which was about her life, not mm-hmm. just about a raising the sun, but really, like, who was this woman? Because when you read, at least in the Philip Rose book, you know, I'm reading Amani Perry's Looking for Lorraine. I've read all first Claudier biographies, including This Life, which is the uh, his first.
1: Oh, my gosh. You
0: know, Lorraine Hansberry was an impressive human being <laughs> she was smart yeah and she knew how to use language in order to make a point that moved beyond a lot of a lot of the arguments cuz i mean Lorraine Hansberry comes into prominence when when america american theater and film is in the era of the race play, right? And this is also the era of Sidney Poitier. It's how Sidney Poitier is able to be launched into the stratosphere because America is finally ready to deal with the issues of race, what it means. You know what I mean? Yeah. So oh. when
1: when yeah. when was that time? Like, when, when did that hit?
0: We're talking 40s. 40s, 40s. going into the 50s, right? So you start to see plays like Home of the Brave. You start to see films like Blackboard Jungle and The Defiant Ones but a lot of the stories that you hear or see are written or have been watered down by white producers and directors. Sure. And so the arguments that are made while there, there is an accuracy to them are are often really shallow. Hmm. This is something that's touched on in Alex Childress's trouble in mind, which was almost the first play on Broadway, 1955, you know, uh, the play that was just done on Broadway with the great. Yes. Um, where it's a play within a play, and you see it, the play is about a, a play that's going to Broadway, that's in rehearsal, and it's going to Broadway, and it's about the Negro problem. Mm-hmm. This is the era that we're living in, and so by the time uh, Lorraine Hansberry and uh, A Raisin in the Sun come along, America is more ready. America thought it was ready with trouble in mind, and then it it, it backed off from that, you know. And this is also the era of Death of a Salesman. This is the era of uh uh, uh not streetcar, uh the Miracle Worker. Miracle that's the play worker. that That's that the, the one play that won the Tony Award play. that year. Yeah. That's right. That's the one that won Best Play. So this is also the era of like the great American play, I think Sweet Bird of Yeath by Tennessee Williams had
1: opened that season. Can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine that season?
0: Yes, I can imagine it, which is why I'm upset with the universe that I wasn't there to see it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Well, it also, it takes me back to what you were saying earlier about your vinyl collection, which is sometimes when we go back in history and look at these pieces of art, we see the time in which it was produced and also feel a connection to what we are going through today. And in going through Raisin and thinking back on the many conversations that we've had over the past few years, it it, it makes me, it, it brings out a couple of feelings in my heart. Number one... Oh my gosh, we we keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again. And also, mm-hmm. it makes me feel not so alone because you can almost hear the similar conversations being had 40 years ago when they're creating Raisin. Um yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's this it's this dual thing of like, "Oh my gosh, we still haven't got it figured out." And also, "Oh, thank goodness we're not the only ones to screw this up."
0: Yeah. And also, every once in a while, uh, Play Like Raisin in the Sun, a musical like Raisin, does get produced and does become a hit. That's yeah. something incredible that we do as Americans. We, we really should do that more.
1: Well said. Yeah. Yeah. So Robert Nemiroff, ex-hubby, he gets approached mm-hmm. by Charlotte Salzberg to turn Raisin in the Sun into a musical. And they start looking at different scores. From what I understand, they received a couple of different submissions. One submission by Judd Walden and Robert Britton, who were a composing team who had met, met doing what? People listening who have listened to the podcast? The BMI Layman Angle Workshop, the workshop where all of these composers have, have met together and 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 start composing, they start turning a raisin in in the sun into a raisin. Uh, it it opens out of town. It gets pretty positive reviews. It seems like at some point it goes from being the star vehicle for the man who's playing Walter Lee to kind of more of an ensemble feel, which is what mm-hmm. the original play is. Of course, Walter is like the the you know the star of the show, but it does have because I think of what you're saying in 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 terms of realism, it has more of an ensemble feel, and I would say the same goes for the musical. It has this. Very ensemble nature to it, which is unusual in 1973 musical theater.
0: Absolutely, and it takes the idea of what of what Miss Hansberry started with a raisin in the sun and expands it. Because in in a raisin in the sun, we stay within the home of the Youngers on the South Side of Chicago. But in raisin, we go outside. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I mean they go outside outside.
0: in the film. They go outside in the film, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: but not in the play. Yeah, we start outside. You know what I mean? With that amazing overture. Oh my goodness. That is one of my favorite overtures of all time.
1: Judd Wolden, the composer, uh, studied jazz pretty seriously in his uh, youth. And boy, oh boy, can you hear it in the score? It's really respectful of the jazz tradition.
0: It's it's so haunting. It's just like, okay, you've got my attention.
1: (laughs) I sense a lot of integrity in the show because... Never once does it fall into some sort of musical theater trope where they it goes to a fantasy sequence. And now that's what how we're justifying the music. It it really does stay grounded in what the play was striving to do. And that doesn't mean it's devoid of theatricality. That is not the case. In fact, the original production was staged pretty skeleton skeletally? Is that a word?
0: Um, (laughs) Skeletal. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and and there was a lot of <laughs> pantomime that sort of thing so it, it was very theatrical but it was always about people it wins best musical like i said in the in 1974 tony awards as does virginia capers she wins best featured oh, actress for Lena younger my gosh yeah. just you listen to this album and her That's performance cool. and there's just so much wisdom and soul coming out of her, every cell of her body it's Fantastic. Now, it doesn't win best score or book, which is not totally unusual, right? The Lion King and Thoroughly Modern Millie, for example, those are the two examples that come to mind, won best musical while losing the other awards to, um, well, Lion King to Ragtime and Millie to Urinetown. The weird thing here that I don't think has happened before or since, and I just wanted to plop this in here is that the winners of best book and best score that year weren't nominated for best musical. Mm -hmm. So best book went to Candide, that amazing show by Leonard Bernstein. I mean, that that Mm -hmm. score is incredible. But not only was it not nominated for best musical, it wasn't nominated for best score. (laughs) Can you imagine that Glitter and Be Gay and uh, uh, Make Our Garden Grow weren't even nominated for a Tony Award? And then the winner for best score was Lerner and Lowe's Gigi. It wasn't nominated for best musical either. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't nominated for best book. So like <laughs> what was happening in 1974, Jarrell? I don't understand. That's
0: why I love uh, the 70s. Are, are, it's probably my favorite decade in American musical theater. I was just talking to a, a playwright a few weeks ago and we were talking about, you know, what era of time we would go back to if we if we could. Hmm. And it's like I would love to go back to the nineteen seventies, just live out that decade of all these places running around. Because, yeah, I mean, you also have like company coming out, yeah, around this time. You know, you also have like Mac and Mabel. You mm-hmm. also have, you know, Pippin. Uh, I mean, it's just you, you got like Pippin. all
1: you got all of the Fosse stuff coming. You know out. I mean,
0: Godspell. You know, I mean, just it just there were so many stories happening. But that's what makes it exciting. That's what makes it an, ex- an exciting era. Because it was a period where anyone could be, re- where any artist had the potential to be rewarded. Nine times out of the 10, it was probably going to go to a white artist because that's the way that America generally worked. But the 70s was a period in which that began to break down. You begin to see that a mm-hmm. little bit. Now, again, the 80s would come and it would kind of go back to business as usual. Yeah. You know, that wouldn't really be broken again until, I would argue, the early 90s when you begin to see, you know, Luther Henderson being nominated, George C. Wolfe being nominated. Tanya Pinkins and Audra McDonald for a while. For Just a ruling minute, that feature. They would like go back and forth yeah. between the two of them. So mm-hmm. that's when you begin to see that again. You know what I mean? Brian Stokes, Mitchell, Norm Lewis, and so on. Um, but that's a, kind of what makes it so cool. And that whole idea of the ensemble, which is how we begin speaking.
1: Yeah,
0: It's a special show. You also have the appearance of... Performers who are going to become um, leaders Huge. or or known known entities in predominantly television. You have Joe Morton as mm-hmm. Walter Lee Younger. Joe Morton, who would uh, I knew from a different world. You know Ooh. he. Oh, right. Joe Morton is the actor that you know Whitley leaves at the altar for Dwayne when they finally get married. You know what <laughs> I mean? You have Virginia Capers, who I knew from the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. She would play. Uh, the fa- the her, uh, grandmother of Uncle Phil. Yes, you know you have Ernestine Jackson, the
1: great mean, Ernestine Jackson. Who speaking again, of Audra McDonald, you can't listen, listen to Ernestine Jackson and not see how the, the way was paid for Audra. You and have then, Ralph and Carter. then, Oh, I was I was going to say uh, oh, uh, yeah. Deborah oh, Allen. Allen. Of
0: course, <laughs> of course, the great Debbie Allen, who you know would go Playing on to you know, do every, every, every. Is there anything she doesn't do? Right, it's really the beginning of an of an era, not just a musical theater, but will expand into film and television. And it begins because of what we're talking about. This play, it's it's a really special piece. It's a really special piece.
1: And in talking of the community of it all, and the ensemble nature of the show, is actually one of my theories as to why Raisin won Best Musical, and and maybe not some of these other smaller prizes. I say smaller in in quotations, because. It seems like in this period of time, best musical wasn't just like, oh, you won this and this and this and this, therefore you must be the best musical. Best musical was a prize that sometimes meant that you were more than the sum of your parts, that it was because of how everyone came together and what the show means and maybe even how you feel about seeing it. All of those are extra bonus points that bring you to best musical.
0: I love that I have never heard that process articulated that way and cool. i'm I'm gonna steal that <laughs> um, I love that because I agree like it's not just about how much money you made or about uh, what you know whether or not you want to peel it or not it's really mm-hmm. about like nah in this case it's the best musical because like yeah the, the score isn't as strong as this okay mm-hmm. but when you what when you look at the totality of what it means, the totality of the story being told Mm -hmm. and what it means to the larger American culture, boom, this has a bigger impact. Yeah. The only thing that I, that I take issue with is Clive Barnes who made the argument that the book, you know, well, you could say the book is even better than what Lorraine Hansberry wrote. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, why don't we just not compare what an African American woman who, who lived that life and that experience did to two you know, albeit really righteous white folk,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Jewish folk who cared, mm-hmm. who believed in the work and wanted to expand it. Why don't we
1: just not play that game? It's not not necessary in the slightest. Yeah,
0: yeah. And it is a good book. Like it's a good book, and it moves.
1: It it's is. It's incredible. a really good book.
0: <laughs> it's strong. <laughs> Nobody arguing that it's not strong. Mm-hmm. But we don't need to make that comparison because it just it falls in line. With too many ways that African American culture has been kind of smoothed over. Absolutely, yeah.
1: All right. Well, I'm excited to go through this real fast <laughs> with you because yes. I read the play. I hadn't read it before. I've never seen Raisin. Oh uh, It wow. doesn't get produced very often, but I bought it. Read the you know the script of the, the musical. Yeah. Followed along yeah, yeah. with with the cast albums and uh, really, really enjoyed it. So I'm excited to share that with our listeners because I guarantee there's probably a majority haven't seen this musical either. Uh, it begins with, like we talked about, this prologue. It's called the prologue, mm-hmm. it, it, but it is essentially a staged overture. And yeah. in the script, the, uh, what I would have preferred, I guess, if I, if I had my druthers, is that I would have liked to have seen the younger family mm-hmm. since that who it, that's who it's about. In the original Broadway production, the prologue was used as an opportunity to introduce us to Southside Chicago. And it's in the middle of the night, um, early, early hours of the morning. You're starting to see the working class get up to do their jobs. You're seeing a lot of uh, people leaving bars inebriated. You're seeing some people doing drugs. Uh, A woman gets pulled in kind of by this evil drug dealer and she passes out from snorting too much heroin. It's actually pretty dark. Mm -hmm. And then somebody comes and rescues her. And that's the prologue. So it's just about establishing this area. Now I get why they did it. it is because this whole story is about this family leaving this area.
0: Yeah, and and that music, again, that music, at least for me, plays into that. Mm -hmm. This is the world that you're entering into. These are the things that you're doing. And it's just the context. It's what makes those folks those folks. So it's less about showing the audience the neighborhood that the family wants to get out, uh, as it is showing the audience, like, this is the world that these folks come from. This is the world that that they call home. Mm -hmm. Because it's home to them. Mm -hmm. Those are the same streets that Ruth sends travis out to play on
1: right you
0: can't understand the younger's experience to some extent if you don't have some understanding of that larger world outside because it's a culmination of the good and the bad of the other that's what makes it up you know what i mean oh man yeah
1: yeah yeah no, you're absolutely right that's so cool i also yeah. love how it reiterates how everybody's kind of on top of everybody yeah, nobody has yeah. this. It's not this There's suburban. No so while you also have these awful things happening,
0: you also have people running to go to work.
1: That are you also have people opening up life.
0: businesses that are going about their life and trying to do the best that they can, and That's it's the true. culmination of all of that energy.
1: I love that.
0: That is um that the the younger's then become a microcosm of that world. The musical shows a more expanded story. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and for those of us who have lived in large cities in America, I mean, come on, you, you, you're walking yeah. through traffic, you're, you know, no, that's so trying true. not to bump into people, you know, because you're right. There there are people everywhere.
1: Well, let's talk about this family who's, <laughs> yeah. who's living here. So we got so like we said, the younger family, we got Walter Lee, who is the oldest son of the of the family. Um, uh, He's also married. He's a father, he's married to Ruth. Um, They have a son named Travis. Mm -hmm. His mom, the grandma, uh, is generally referred to as mama, but her name is Lena. Then uh, Walter's little sister, so also a a child of Lena, is Benita. And each of these characters showing a, a different POV of getting the american dream within the black experience walter is 100 percent the dreamer it sounds like his recently departed father walter senior was similar uh mm-hmm. but had and correct me if you think i'm wrong grown very weary in realizing that maybe he his dream would never come to pass uh, there's this one line that I love so much, that that he always said, which is, "Seem like God didn't see fit to give the black man nothing but dreams, but he did give us children to make them dreams seem worthwhile." I yes. mean, just such a beautiful <laughs> line. Uh, and yeah. I gotta say, like, th- this is a great book because it retains all of the gorgeous stuff of Miss Hansberry. Um, but in any case, so Walter Senior, he has passed, and ha- his life insurance money is about to come to the family, which is a huge amount of money, $10,000, life-changing for a family like this. And when we meet them, we see Walter, his dream is to start a liquor store with two other people. Now, Mama does not like that idea because she is a very conservative religious woman and the idea that you're going to start a business to fuel people's addictions to liquor is, is more than she can handle.
0: Yeah. 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 That's that's the basic premise of the story. There's one thing that I want to go back to, which is uh, Walter Sr. and the whole idea of his dream. I don't think that Walter Lee Sr. ever gave up on his dream. I just think he renegotiated them. Okay, because it's similar to the ending of Carolina Change, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm not going to get where I want to get to but my kids are. And yeah. that then becomes the dream, if that makes sense. And I, yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah.
1: And I, but I, and I think that there, for better or worse, there's something incredibly American and universal about was, that's that. That's what I was going to say. Because yeah. it, it is this audacity of hope, to borrow a phrase from President Obama, that we preach the ideal and live in the reality. That's, and yes, and- yes. And when we live in the reality, then what we can pass on to the next generation is that next sense of hope. Because then maybe they might get even a little bit closer because we know we'll fail. We know we're gonna fail to reach this perfection. It's just, it, it's not gonna happen. But that's what kind of makes us crazy and beautiful at the same time.
0: Every, my father and both of my grandfathers were laborers.
1: This is mm-hmm. me telling you my life history.
0: Mm-hmm. They worked with their bodies. That's how they made their money. I'm an artist. I work with my mind for the most part. You know what I mean? My energy, yeah. my ideas, my creativity. Mm. That is a version of the American dream, yeah. you know? And that's that's what they're pushing for. No, I, I really,
1: I dig what you just said. I really like the way you just put that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate yeah. that. Well, you inspired it. Um, the... <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> now in terms of what you were saying about not necessarily giving up on your dreams but growing up or i don't know whatever renegotiating whatever, renegotiating thank you renegotiating your dreams yeah ruth who's walter's wife mm-hmm. she she is the one who i maybe is always encouraging some renegotiation because walter yeah. has this dream this is going to be at liquor store liquor store liquor store and Ruth is, eat your eggs, eat your eggs, eat, eat your eggs, right? <laughs> um, which, eat my eggs. <laughs> <laughs> which I, I love, once again, a perfect place for a song because that, that eat your eggs, Walter, is such an iconic line in in the straight play. So then the the fact that it then gives way to this I want song for, yeah. for Walter. Anyway, my, uh, my question within all of this is to say, I don't think Ruth is trying to be a wet blanket on this situation. No, not at all. She's not the nagging wife that Walter sometimes mistakes her to be. She needs to
0: be practical because Ruth lives in a reality that doesn't afford her. Walter Lee drives around the city all day. So Walter Lee gets to see a lot of life.
1: He's a chauffeur, by the way. He's a chauffeur,
0: yeah. Ruth spends time working in kitchens. I'm going to go out on a limb. Walter Lee has a car or he takes a cab to work where he drives a car for someone else. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say Ruth is on a bus or a train going to someone else's house. And then she spends all day in someone else's house. And then she comes back to her house. Hmm. So the idea. So there is there, there's a possibility that you could fall into the trap of the so-called nagging wife, which is like old school misogy- American misogynistic anyway but there's this great line. I don't know. I don't remember if it's in the musical. There's a great line where uh, towards she offers him milk. She's like, do you want some milk or something to eat? And he's like, no, I don't want no milk. Why are you always trying to feed me?
1: Mm-hmm. And she, mm-hmm. and her,
0: her response is, I just want to give you something. Yeah. <laughs>
1: like, yeah. Not, yeah. No, it's in I the don't musical. Know what else. I don't know what else to give you. And that's before they, they get all sexy actually. You.
0: Yeah. And there's a line in, in earlier in the play where she's talking to Lena at the table and they have that conversation about the money and Lena looks at her cause she starts to sell. She starts to do what Walter Lee asks her to do. Walter mm-hmm. Lee is like, you talk to mama. And she's like, I don't want to deal with that. But she does it cause she wants to support her husband and she mm-hmm. knows how frustrated he is. And she, she starts to work mama and mama looks at her like, did Walter Lee sell you all this store?" And her response is no but he needs he needs it he needs it he needs something that i can't give him
1: in fact i'm 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 gonna go out on a limb and say i think ruth is the better business person and if it were more if it were more acceptable i mean she's better with money She's more level-headed, but at the same time, she listens because she understands so that much. through all of this like energy and maybe even misplaced aggression that sometimes comes out of Walter, w- she still hears what he needs, which That's is something right. to to make him feel valued and, and uh, yeah. seen, you know? She
0: sees him go out every
1: day just
0: like his dad did because she knew Big Walter. Mm-hmm. She saw him do that. They all lived in that apartment together. And then Big Walter died. Ruth is the hardest... I think she's the hardest character to play in that play. Because she is the most level-headed. Walter Lee is always yelling. Beneatha is always yelling. And Mama mm-hmm. doesn't yell a lot. But Mama knows what how the world should be.
1: Let's actually talk about Benita. Because yeah. she is... She has all of the benefits of being the youngest in that she doesn't, she's probably been a little bit more spoiled than Walter. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yes. And because of that, she also has all of the possibilities. She wants Mm. to be a doctor, but she also wants to play the conga drums. You know, she, (laughs) every day she has some new interest. I love it. And, and, um, so the world is totally her oyster. And yes. it drives everybody crazy, but it's also what makes <laughs> Benita so lovable, right? Yes. so uh, and Walter is being very competitive with Benita right here at the top because mm. she wants some of this money, this insurance money to put her through college so that she can become a doctor. and mm-hmm. uh, Walter doesn't see why uh, she should be able to get her education and he not receive a, you know his money to start this liquor store.:
0: Yeah, one of, one of the challenges of scarcity. Is mm-hmm. that it begins to pit people against each other. We yeah. see that in and we see that in the American theater community all the time. Mm. There's scarcity. And so it's like, well, can this opportunity be mine? Can this opportunity be mine? And and we don't know how to share because there's not a lot to share. and, and we can talk to the larger, you know, again, capitalism, the larger reasons and how people use, you know, race, culture, age, gender, sexual orientation to divide people. But no, that's basically it. No, Benny for, for you all, Benita is the character that lorraine hansbury wrote about herself
1: oh i'm sure so oh you're Benita, so right you're so Benita right is, no is she lorraine said it Hansberry. she said she admitted to it oh really She's
0: so outspoken and
1: so yeah
0: she's and so, so outspoken and
1: it's and it often pits her against her family including her mom um when all of a sudden she'll just start you know philosophizing and d- decide that right. there's no god in, which is just not okay in lena's h- household right Um,
0: But she's also the one who's most connected to her history as an African-American. And she's also the only character in this play who is connected directly with her history as an African-American, with her relationship with Asagai. Because Asagai connects us to the motherland that we were taken away from.
1: So Asagai is somebody who she's met at college, in college. That's right. Oh, yes. And, Thank you. Thank you. And yeah. he uh, he's from Nigeria? Nigeria. Liberia. Yes. Yeah, Nigeria. Nigeria. And he is inspiring within her this connection to That's who right. she is. And kind of shedding also the skin of all, what has been placed upon them. Um, yeah. Once again, just so beautiful to see these different people all related all living in the same cramped quarters and all having such different experiences and perspectives and on the same life
0: imagine what it means to an African American going to see this musical in the early 1970s who the, the only representation of a human being from any country in Africa is in a Tarzan movie you know what I right. mean or in yeah. a, but beneath is the only character that has that that had that's able to make that connection. So while we may agree with what she says, while we totally disagree with how she expresses herself, sometimes mm-hmm. she does have a connection to her past in the way that the rest of her family doesn't. And mm. she is the closest one to really getting a sense of identity. And she's able to teach mama. Uh, it's it's just really like the collision of those personalities.
1: Seeing how mama uh, reacts with Benita and specifically Asagai, and also reacts to Ruth and Walter Lee brings to my awareness awareness once again how living on top of each other they all are and nobody has any privacy no and <laughs> i'm sure everybody knows when Ruth and Walter are having sex like because <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> And yeah. like there are just things that everybody understands, but nobody really has to talk about. But it's it it that is how close this family is in terms of living Absolutely. quarters. And so when when Ruth and Lena sit down to really discuss, like what is she going to do with the money? The the mom is very, Mama Lena is very adamant that yes, some of the money is going to be going to Benita for her education, mm-hmm. because that's what Walter Senior would have wanted. And then she's yep. going to use some of the money to make a down payment on a house because she wants them to get out of this place. In the musical, Walter is shown to have a pretty big drinking problem. Yeah. Um, Is that the case in the play as well?
0: We don't see it, but yeah. Yeah. Because we see it, and the first time we see it is in the film because
1: the play doesn't leave the
0: house, but in the film we see him go to the bar when, when after mama doesn't, you know give him the money immediately right. and you know she's she's going to buy the house we see him sinking into alcoholism again because he's just numbing himself at this point
1: absolutely and unfortunately i think it also doesn't help his case at all because here you have you're you're wanting your mom to invest in a business where you actually might have a problem being around that substance too much. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and they don't oh, ever wow. talk about. Wow. that. They don't ever talk about yeah. it, but it's there. It feels very clearly. I present. never thought of that, and that's really yeah,
0: wow. That's really clear. It, it, it's arguably that part of one one of the reasons why she's against that because all she says is that I don't want to sell people liquor. Yeah. But Walter Lee also has a drinking problem. <laughs>
1: yeah, so, so you like, maybe that's not a great idea. And she's yeah. just so she's so clever in those ways. And once again, everybody knows everything about everybody. That I I can't help but see that connection. Well,
0: it does give us it gives us a it does give us a good song though. We have the song "Booze."
1: Yeah, you know what I mean. Which <laughs> is where they talk great, about it. Well, there are so many great songs. I really recommend that everybody listen to this score. Runnin' to Meet the Man is this great song where Walter's trying to keep up with the rat race uh, yep. uh, um, booze, which you mentioned, which is when Walter is meeting with his business partners to, yeah, you, we, to get the store. Have. Sweet Time, which is this beautiful song that Ernestine Jackson sings on the original cast album. Yeah. Ruth is, she's she starts it by singing to Walter about like, uh. remember when we used to be sweet? And then it, it becomes this duet and ultimately pretty sexy and, and romantic.
0: Can I can I tell you that that, hey, that is my favorite scene in A Raisin in the Sun.
1: Mm. Because it's it's
0: how you know that Lorraine Hansberry, even though she was a beginning playwright, understands dramatic action. Because Walter Lee and Ruth just beef. The first time you see them together, they just beef They're yeah. tired, they're cranky, they're hungry, they just beef. Once they realize that Ruth is pregnant and everything kind of starts falling apart and he comes back, no one else is in the house. No one else is there. And they start talking to each other Hmm. and they start asking each other questions. And you can see the spark of the flame that used to live there. It used to be a big flame and now it's just a spark. You know, how did we get to this place where we don't, where we're afraid to talk softness to each other? We yeah. yell at each other now. How do we get, how, which is a great couple question, right? It's a yeah, great marriage. Like, it's a great person. How did we get here? And just as they're beginning to come together, mama enters and she's bought the house.
1: Yep, and she tells Boom. everybody that she's used the money to make the down payment yep. on the house, and it's not just any house; it's a house. It's a it's a
0: house in Clyburn Park. Where in Clyburn Park, in a really white neighborhood where black people don't move, and it shatters all of that. Sweet Time is also my favorite song in the musical. Reason,
1: mm. it's a I, I mean, it's just stunning. It's really bet.
0: beautiful. I love it. And then, um, oh, sorry, no, you were you were going through them. No, yeah. no,
1: just so once that news comes to comes to pass, then we're right here at the end of Act One, and Walter Lee sings "You Done Right," which is just a powerhouse of a song, talking about. Yes, that's the. Yes, sir, no, sir. Mm-hmm. Would you like to go, sir? I mean, it is shall powerful, I, and that what what's his name again? I forget who played Walter Lee oh uh driveway. joe Morton. joe Morton. Joe that's Morton. right thank you uh joe Morton just has this golden throat i mean and oh he, and he's, he's pushed incredible. to his l- limits i mean the the score yeah. is really really challenging and in particular this first act closer is just filled with uh yeah. rage and you frustration and, say yeah you've done oh. right,
0: All right. <laughs> I love we, it.
1: We can't pay for the copyright. Oh, Don't yeah, sing yeah, anymore. Sorry, sorry. No, I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> that was 30 seconds.
1: <laughs> exactly. Okay, round
0: two. Name something that's not boring.
1: A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
0: Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No process over by law. plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Hey listeners, have you tried Factor yet? Remember Factor Meals, they were supposed to send me a box to try out but they don't ship to Hawaii so now I'm stuck with my Taco Bell and now it's up to you. It's up to you to try it and let me know how it is because it's May and we can't eat like it's the holidays anymore. We're trying to get our summer bodies together and factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting food. You can choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, whatever you want, it's here. Head to factormeals.com musicaltheater50, that's musicaltheater with an E-R, and use code musicaltheater50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code theater 50 at factormeals.com slash theater 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. So act two begins with uh, they're at church. Yep, um, in the song. Yeah, yeah. Yep, he come down this morning. Which mm. when I first, okay, once again, didn't know Raisin super well. And I heard this song. I was like, of course, we have to do a number in a black musical at church. But... It's actually really fantastic and comes back in a beautiful way.
0: It's like a three act play.
1: It is. That it is. song has like
0: three different movements to it. Yes. <laughs> like again, the score is such such a good score. Mm-hmm. And part of me wants to be a hater because it was written by white folks. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm like, well, I wish it could have been written by African Americans. But I, I mean, I, it's it's really well done. The folks mm-hmm. who wrote this really respected the the play. They really mm-hmm. respected the characters, and mm-hmm. they really went out of their way to make sure that the characters were full human beings. And it it, it it didn't just play around with the themes of it, but it tried to go to the heart of who these people are and how they live their life. And so when you get to He come Down This Morning, which could be a throwaway Broadway church song with black folks, Lord That's knows true. there are plenty. Mm-hmm. Um, when you get to that and you get to the the moment where it switches off to Travis, the young the son—, son. And you begin to see how gospel and church has is beginning to manifest itself in him. I like it because you can really see Lena's influence yes. on Travis. And then we have, again, that community. It's not just the youngers. It's the youngers in relation to this community of African-Americans, and they're all on different versions of the same journey. Some of them find their way through alcohol. Some of them find their way through work. Some of them find their way through church and religion. Mm -hmm. It is a recurring theme in the life of uh, African-Americans who live in inner cities. And in this case, I'm speaking of myself. You know what I mean? My dad spent a lot of time in bars and my mom spent a lot of time in churches. Mm. Wow, (laughs) That was my childhood. You know what I mean? Um, Because everybody was looking for a way to deal with the fact that You were working at these really menial jobs. You weren't sure what your future was going to be. You're living paycheck to paycheck. You know, there needs to be some kind of release or something to build on. And with my dad, it was the camaraderie of other folks, other working class folks who understood him and a good drink. And with my mom, it was believing that there's something there's something better. Mm-hmm. The end of act one of Raisin ends with this like really dark emotional moment of like, I don't know where we're going, but wherever we're going, it's not where I'm trying to go. But the beginning of that too is like, no, there's still joy here.
1: There's something here. There's, there's still hope
0: here. there. There's still and, faith there.
1: And I can't help but feel like Lena going to church brings her to this place where she gives Walter the rest of the money that she hasn't used on the down payment. And she says, I want you to take... Three thousand of it to put in a, an account for Benita's uh, education, and then do what you will with the rest of it. And he's ecstatic. Here's the thing, and this breaks my heart to say, Walter uses all of the money. Yeah, he's a really he, bad.
0: He's not a great business. It's a
1: terrible man. decision. He puts all of the money. He doesn't take out any of the the stuff for Benita, and puts it into this the deal with these two guys, Bobo and Willie. Yep. <clears throat> Cut to the chase. Willie hmm. skips town and takes all the money.
0: Yep. And, so just, and I
1: still have such an emotional reaction to that. She's
0: she's so intelligent, Larry and Hansberry, because the prime event that alters the trajectory of the family for the negative doesn't immediately come from white society it comes from african-american society which is which is a society that is predicated on predatory behavior to each other because it is a microcosm of the larger society like that's what white america does to black america and so you see that happening in a version of it so you know somebody someone from outside the community might look at that and go well that's black people treating black people poorly but it's like no What Willie did is a reflection of what America does to black people all the time. And Willie has made up his mind that he's going to be the taker as opposed to the one that's already getting taken. So you can imagine that something like that happened to Willie probably more than once. He was just like, well, there's there's no use in trying to live a decent life. I'm
1: just looking out for myself.
0: Because you have to look out for yourself and you end up preying on the same people who are around you. And for that reality to be reflected on stage, on the Broadway stage, at that level, that's complexity. That is character and and situational
1: and, and neighborhood complexity. And the interesting thing about the musical theater art form is that then when you have a story like this, the moments that you decide to musicalize gain greater importance mm-hmm. simply because now you're spending more time on them. Mm-hmm. And the moment of this kind of robbery of Willie taking the money and running doesn't have a song. No. What does have a song, however, is the situation that happens with the people from Clydeborne Park. <laughs> There's this dude By the name of wasn't Lindler, Mr. Lindler, Carl Lindner. Lindner. Yep, and he has come to the Youngers, you know, as they're getting ready to move into this house, and we don't see the scene in raisin. No, we don't see what he tells them, but after he leaves, we kind of skip to this moment (laughs) where Mama comes home. And Ruth and Walter Lee and Benitha perform a song commenting on the experience they just had. It's an incredible piece of musical theater in my eyes, because now all of a sudden, this is the moment that we have decided to focus on. Yep. And it's actually the less violent thing. It's it, like you mentioned before, a microaggression, but it feels more important than even maybe the money getting stolen. Can you take us through what exactly went down? What what did Lindner say? Lindner comes uh, to offer the family money to not move in.
0: Uh, the members of that area, which are predominantly white, do not want African-Americans moving to their neighborhood. The reason that is print- Not because they're racist, by the way. No, 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 no. Oh, I'm getting there. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, The reason that's generally given is, well, property values, and there's a whole history to that. And and it's, I mean, it goes to the heart of Chicago social politics, because that's still being dealt with today. I I live in Chicago now. So, but he comes to offer them money. And the idea is that, again, traditionally, when these stories are told, the white Americans who uh, are doing kind of the society's dirty work, racist dirty work, are thugs. Or, you know, think think um Chief Fire Chief Conklin and Ragtime. You yeah. know what I mean? It's very brazen. It's very, it's obviously ignorant. And it's really right. easy for, in my opinion, it's very easy for uh, white members of the audience to distance themselves from those characters because you look at that character and go, well, I, I don't, behave that, do that I don't I behave that way. I don't behave mm-hmm. that way. I don't use those words. But Carl Lindner is a sweet man. Quiet, polite man who frames the process of paying them to not move into the neighborhood as an extension of brotherhood. And that is something that was new. That's the deception. That was new for Broadway. Once they realize what he's actually saying, we don't want you to move in because we don't want to live around Black people, but we're actually doing it for everybody's own good,
1: it's it's actually better if we just live around. Yeah, pe- people get along
0: better when they live around. People that
1: have a good We don't want background. you to move in here and get bombed. Yeah, like horrible things happen when black people move in a white neighborhood. So
0: let's just squash the whole thing. And we're willing to pay you more than what the house is worth to stay out or to stay away. So we can do each other a favor. You'll get paid a little more money. We'll get to keep our neighborhood the way that we want to make it. Everybody wins. Right. And so when Mama comes back, and it's it's really great. I love the construction of, of that moment. Mama comes in, and, and they're they're like, "Wow, <laughs> you know."
1: They, they, you don't you don't realize where we just a, went. You
0: through. have a you had a caller. I think it's beneath the line, and Mama understands what they're talking about, and her her response is, "Heaven, heaven give us strength, or Lord give us strength," something like that. Did they threaten us? And that's where the song comes. Oh, they don't do it Mm -hmm. that way anymore. No. They talk brotherhood and togetherness. And and they sing this song. Let's talk about brotherhood.
1: So the song is called Not Anymore. (laughs) And it's saying like racism looks different now. It looks different now. It's evolved. It, it's evolved. It's even sneakier. It's those shadow beliefs. We like,
0: applaud the NAACP. You
1: know? <laughs> absolutely. I love it. In many ways, it's like the more successful Officer Krupke, right? Because in West Side Story, <laughs> Officer Krupke in the second act always feels a little like, why would these characters be be behaving this way? Um, I couldn't agree more. And here it actually makes perfect sense and it's in the exact same spot in terms of musical construction. Um, It's, it's just, it's so great. It's It's very
0: insightful. And it's a way through fun play to let mom know like, yeah, we're dealing with the same thing, but not the same way because mama Lena came from an environment where they would just come to your house with a gun and drag you out and hang you from a tree. And it yes. was just that it was like that was it. That's how they. That's how things were dealt with. Mm-hmm. But now we're in a different era. It's funny to them, and not in a ha way, but like, is it like it's absurd? It's the situation that they're being twisted. placed yeah. in is absurd, and they understand the absurdity of it. It's a smart song. I, I enjoy listening to that song.
1: So after this song, that's when all of the the revelation comes to light about how. Oh, yeah, they lost um, the money. How they lost the money. Benita is, of course, beside herself because she can't go to college now. I mean, everybody's just, just really upset. Uh, what Walter Lee decides to do is to contact Mr. Lindner mm-hmm. and accept the offer. Not just accept then-
0: the offer, but to put on a show. I'm minstrel show, Coon song, whatever it takes. And it's similar to where Willie is and why Willie behaved the way that he behaved. At this point, the only thing that matters is money.
1: Hmm.
0: And I'm sick of doing the right thing. I'm sick of caring. I'm sick of working my ass off just to end up in the same apartment and I can't get, like, I'm 30 years old and I have a son that sleeps on the living room couch. I think of that line Mm -hmm. so much because I'm like, wow, I I don't know what that really feels like, but I can imagine what that must feel like. That must yeah. be a, you must feel like the biggest loser in the world. Every time you wake up in the morning and you go into that living room, you know that you can't provide the way that you, 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 society says you should, you should be providing for your family. So we're going right. to, we're not just going to accept the money We're I'm going to cry if I need to get down on my knees and, you know, say, Oh, great white father, just give us the money and you won't have to live next to this bunch of stinking N word. Like, it's a dark, it, that song, you it's know, really dark. that's a dark song. But it's,
1: it's... And it's a reprise of It's a Deal. That's which right. Is that's absolutely right. Crazier. Yeah.
0: And it goes to the heart of where he is emotionally at that moment, because he's in a dark place. But the good news is, again, it's structured really well. The good news is, from that song, we get to uh, the Hills and Valleys. Is that the name of the song?
1: Measure the valley. Measure the Valley. Yeah, which is because uh i mean everyone's so upset right and uh walter leaves and wise mama what she tells everybody is and here i'm going to pull this this line up
0: yeah but says that he wasn't a man he's a rat
1: yeah and that triggers that triggers mama uh mama says honey when do you think is the time to love somebody the most when they done good and made things easy for everybody it's when he's at his lowest and can't believe in himself. Yep. And and she sings this song called "Measures the Valleys," which is basically saying, if you're upset that the wind isn't blowing very strong, maybe you need to look at the path that it had to take mm. to get to where you are. hmm And not only is it an eleven o'clock number, but it is an eleven o'clock number that's actually very bluesy. Like it isn't. Oh. It isn't. It isn't super loud. Yeah. Um, you're right. It's actually very quiet and wise yeah. and, and and singular. I can't really think of another Ain't, another eleven o'clock number quite like it.
0: You're right. And it's not it's not Rose's turn.
1: No. You know what
0: I mean? Right. It's 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 not loud and big and bombastic. I mean she there is a moment where, you know, she increases the, the volume of her vocals. Mm-hmm. But it's always issue with love. The world is constantly forgetting that African-Americans are human beings. You can't ever forget that. And you got to know, he screwed up majorly. No one is arguing that. And we're all upset. But you can't allow your disappointment and a choice that he made to make your life better to write him off as a human being. And that's the story. It's not that you have to it's not that you have to forgive him. It's not that you have to accept it. It's not that he's just a good. You have to be happy know, about you it. You have to be happy. You don't have to be happy about it. You get to be pissed off. He messed up, but you don't get to deny him his humanity because that's actually why he started all this in the first place and what you're forgetting is that he did it for you he thought he was doing something good for you he doesn't have training he didn't understand what he was doing he made a bad business deal and again i don't i don't want to i don't think that it's an apology for Walter Lee's behavior. It's not.
1: No, no, it's not. But it's you not. can't it just forget that. If you are going to love yeah. somebody, it's more important to love them in the hard times than the easy ones.
0: That's right. That's absolutely right.
1: When <laughs> when Walter comes back, where he has Mr. Lin- Lindner. Lindner. Mm-hmm. And uh, the white guy's very happy that it seems like he's ready to take <laughs> right? his, his offer. And mom is sitting there in her rocking chair, listening to what's about to go down. Even in the script, it says, like, she specifically looks the other way as, as though to tell Walter, this is your decision. You got to decide. But speaking to her wisdom, she also kind of sets him up because she pushes
0: Travis forward and goes, teach him. Oh, you yeah. teach him the way that Willie you Harris teach taught You teach your son what you're going to do. And so it creates another level of awareness on Walter Lee. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so in that moment, it's yeah. like, oh, damn it damn it damn it damn it all right you know what we're gonna do (laughs) the money is what Mm -hmm. it is and it's gonna be what it's gonna be we're moving forward with this boom We (laughs) are moving
1: into the house like we like we had planned to and get ready to have us as neighbors that's
0: right because we don't we we don't want to fight no causes or making no mm-hmm. noise and we will try to be good neighbors but we are going to move mm-hmm. into that house because my father earned it brick by brick
1: and my favorite moment of this scene is that while he says all of this mama starts humming <laughs>
0: Come on, come on, come
1: on. Her her church song. Mm-hmm. She starts humming he came down this morning right from the top of Act Two. It's so um, friggin- and, and and she's not upstaging, but she's nope. just very simply telling everybody we're at church right now, and it's this an is God. <laughs> it's a, she's
0: underscoring the moment, and it's the Amen corner, which is one of the, It's what I've yes. been doing this whole conversation, or what you do when when one of us mm-hmm. says something that the other agrees with, but we don't want to cut the other person off. So, mm-hmm, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. <laughs> that's how amen it is, corner. man. Yeah, those characters have mad integrity.
1: Ah, oh, love that. Darryl, thank you so much for doing this with me. What a what an absolute joy and honor. I'm so grateful you came on. Thank
0: you. Oh thank you. my goodness, anytime, you know. Anytime. I don't I don't know if you invite people back, but any any time <laughs> again, one of my favorite we, things to do.
1: I know that we could find more to talk about. <laughs> Not a problem. Many more black musicals. <laughs> <laughs> As always, if you have recommendations for shows you'd like us to cover on a musical theater podcast, you can always email me at amusicalpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, at Amusical Podcast. We're also on TikTok. We have our T Public Store, where any profits we receive will be donated to Broadway Cares, Equity, Fights, Aids. We have Patreon! exclamation point, Where for only $1 a month, you can receive bonus content, special episodes. I'd love to have you back, actually, Gerald for <laughs> something on Patreon. That would be really cool all in all, you got to know that I am so grateful for this beautiful podcasting community. So uh, please stay connected. Yeah. Hey, Jarrell, how do we follow you and everything you're up to?
0: I'm on Instagram. Um, Two accounts on Instagram. The first is my professional account, Jarrell L. Henderson, uh, J-E-R-R-E-L-L, H-E-N-D-E-R-S-O-N. Um, and that's like, you know, my theater, my puppetry, occasionally I'll post something from my life, but like honestly, my life isn't that that interesting. <laughs> 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 so I tend to keep it mostly work, <laughs> work about that because that's actually interesting. And then the other page we, we spoke about before, it's, it's Black Theater Vinyl Archive, um, and that's the. They'll also
1: be linked in our show notes.
0: Oh, wonderful! Yay, yay, yay. yeah! And that's my page where um, uh, all of the albums that I've posted so far, a couple hundred, um, are on there. And I always do like a thirty-second. I've started doing thirty-second samples of each piece because you know copyrights are real. <sighs> I'm not trying to yeah, get sued. That's amazing. <laughs> um, but you know, if you want to hear it, if you want to hear a clip of you know the European tour of Raisin... oh, because on that one, sorry, really, really quick, on that one they actually. They actually go into the uh Akamagosie moment, right? Because all the original yes, Broadway soundtrack yes, you actually could... they just do they just do um Alayo, which is a beautiful song. Uh, okay. That used which to be one gorgeous. of my audition songs. I love it. And I can hit all the notes. Alayo, okay. really? Oh, yes. that's so cool. You know, I said I can hit all the notes. The song yeah. that Asagai guy sings. That's why I couldn't do it's a deal. <laughs> I tried to do it's a deal. It was like I can't I won't have a voice. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, but on the um, on the European one in the clip that I played, it's when um, Walter leads on the table reading the poem. Can't you hear? Can't you see? And that's not on the original Broadway soundtrack. So that's nice. one of the reasons I love that. So you can go check
1: that out. Thank you. Amazing. Uh, and
0: also, I, I can't I, I really can't thank you enough for oh uh, inviting gosh. me into
1: the space. I, I, I a blast. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to everybody who listened uh, and listens. I appreciate you all. Thank you again, Jarrell, and everybody out there. Uh, measure the Valleys. hmm <laughs>